we are obviously moving into the autumn. The weather's changing. There's that sense of, you know, you know, things are different than they were even two or three weeks ago. It's a difference. And I want to be fruitful in the final two and a half months, uh, sorry, three and a half months of 2022. I, I, I want to fulfill the purposes of God in this, in the remainder of 2022. I want something wonderful and special. I'm anticipating God doing something good in my life, in my family, in our church. Anybody else? Anticipating something good. Even if you're not anticipating it, would anybody like something good? Yeah. Even if it seems like, ah, I just don't have the faith to believe for it right now. I'm anticipating something good. And I want to read a letter. I I had, interestingly, I was talking with Pastor Sam from Faith Fellowship a week and a half ago. And I said to him, I, I had a sense that the books, the letters from the New Testament, they're short letters to 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, a church called Thessalonica. Interesting thing. It was named after the sister of Alexander the Great. That's who that city was named after. And it was a great city in its day. It, it, it was right where people, uh, merchants, went to the east and went to the west. And it was, so it was a key city. And this was a young church, a new church. And these two letters are possibly the earliest letters that the Apostle Paul wrote. And they have a simplicity about them, which is, you know, probably why I like it, because I'm simple. Uh, they're, they're for us. They're for a young church. It's the simple gospel. He doesn't go into some of the deep things that he, Paul doesn't go into some of the deep things he does in Romans or Corinthians. They're simple letters. He's laying out the gospel and he's urging these people forward. I need someone like the apostle Paul urging me forward by, in the power of the Holy Spirit. We need that. And so I sense these letters are relevant, and uh, they, they were written perhaps weeks, even days apart, uh, because not everything was answered in the first letter, and Paul wrote back to these people. But I want to read this, um, you can see the name of this, Flourishing, the Flourishing Last Days Church. Now, that's maybe, sounds maybe presumptuous, but we are in troubled times times that I think we're nearing the the close of the age when God is when Jesus is preparing to return and I want to be ready and I want to prepare us and I want to flourish in this hour I don't intend to cower and say oh we're hanging on till Jesus gets back I don't want to just hang on I want to persevere I want to fight through to the end, and I want to flourish. I'd like to bear fruit in the last days to spite the devil. I'd like to do it, to glorify God, of course, but I'd like to bear fruit for the kingdom of God just right in the enemy's face when he says, boy, it's close to the end. You better just, you know, hunker down, hide out, and uh, hope that you make it to the end. No, 
I want to bear fruit. I want to flourish. I want you to flourish. Anybody else want to flourish in the, in the spirit? Flourish in God. Amen. Okay. First Thessalonians, I'm going to read the whole chapter. I have a feeling we're not going to get it all done. So, you know, don't be mad at me if we don't. Uh, I was ambitious to think we could do this, but um, now in the light of day, I'm more realistic. Well, we probably won't. So, First um, Thessalonians one, uh, verse, chapter one, verses one to ten. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, and we could say brothers and sisters, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of man we proved to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord is sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception or welcome we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, That is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Amen. Now, I know we're in a generation. How many have ever received a handwritten letter? A handwritten letter, yeah. We we get mail nowadays, probably not very much, because most things come electronically. But I am old enough to remember when all of our communication that was like that came in a, in the mailbox and you know you would pick it up it's still kind of the same you know you pick it up and there's the you know pizza flyer the pad of the notepad from a realtor you know all of the things that you get you know the bulk barn flyer then there are the bills the things that you don't want to open bc hydro and you know Canada Revenue Agency, things like that. But then you get these, the odd letter. Again, I realize it's very less, very much less than it used to be. You get the odd letter where somebody has written your name by hand, and it's like, I don't know if you're like me, but you get all the other mail. You take care of it. This one in the recycler. This one I'll open and look at how much I owe the tax man later. But this one I save for the end. <laughs> you know, this, this personal one, that's the one that you want to read slowly and get every word out of it. Uh, and, you know, I have had bad ones, but you get those kind of things. You get those personal letters. They're different. You look forward to opening it, especially if the return address is from somebody you know cares about you, right? 
You, you see that, it's handwritten, and you see, oh, like I used to get those from my mom. And it was like, okay, everything else gets taken care of, and now my mom, everything's got to be just right. I got a cup of coffee, I, you know, the, the phone is unhooked. You know, I'm going to read that from someone that cares about me. That is a different kind of communique. That is similar to what we have here. Paul has led these people to Christ. He, Paul the Apostle, who wrote this letter, he brought these people to Christ, and they were pretty new in the faith, and he cared about them. He wanted to know that they were doing well, and so he's now writing a letter to them. You can bet that this letter was the priority. Everything else going on, you know, just put it aside because we want to read the letter from this guy who's known for, he's, he's a credible person. They knew he was a wise person. They knew that he was faithful. This guy was respected. Uh, he, you, and we do the same thing. You know that it's something special when it's from someone, you know that their commitment level is high. You know that they're of impeccable character. In this case, someone who has sacrificed to come and tell them about Christ. We'll, we'll say more about it in weeks to come, but Thessalonica was a place that Paul came and he got uh, persecuted. The, the Jewish uh, followers, the people there, they hated what he was preaching and they ran him out of town. And they had done it in a few other towns too. So now he comes here and he knows that these people have believed the gospel and he cares about them, but it cost him. It was a, it was a sacrifice. So they would know, hey, this guy paid a price to come and tell us about Jesus. We know he cares for us. We know that this isn't just, you know, take it or leave it. No, he really loved them and cared for them. I listened to a couple of podcasts, uh, some of them fairly regularly, a couple of them mostly, but I, I listened to them, you know, fairly regularly from people who are respectable and wise and credible, and they have a, a good track record, and they answer questions about faith and about life and about Scripture. That's what Paul's doing here. When we read some of these letters in here, people have said it's like listening to half of a phone conversation. I hear Rose talking on the phone sometimes. Sometimes she has the speaker phone on, um, and so I can hear both sides of it. But it's kind of like if someone's talking on the phone and you hear, oh, yeah, no, uh, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, I'm going to be... Then, and then there's this and there's this. And you're trying to piece it together. And because I'm very nosy... I'm usually trying to piece together Rose's phone calls when she goes in the other room and I put a glass against the door here. No. Um, you, you only get certain things. That's kind of like this. Some things we have to speculate, but you can tell, like a phone call, sometimes from the answer, you can tell what the question was. You know, you hear someone say something like this. Well, it's cloudy here right now, but the sun is coming out. You know, they just ask something about the weather, of course. And so, same thing in here. 
you can tell by what Paul's response is that some of the things they were asking certain kinds of questions and he was answering them. This is probably written around 50 AD. So maybe less than 20 years after Jesus had died and resurrected. Um, So the themes of this particular letter are relevant for us. They're relevant for us. It's interesting, nearly 20 centuries after Paul wrote this, people are still finding it relevant. That's sort of amazing when you think of it. And it, to me, it testifies to the reality that God was the author. Paul was the guy with the pen in hand, but the, the one speaking it was God. Because here we are, nearly 20 centuries later, and this is still relevant. And it has been for every generation from 50 A.D., into the second century, third, through the, you know, dark ages, in through the, you know, the Renaissance Reformation period, the Enlightenment, right up to the present, up to 2022. This is a living word. It isn't exhausted, amen? God's still speaking to us tonight. There's not just in general, he's speaking to the people in this room. God intends for us to walk away with something from it. He knows what we need to hear. He knows what you need to hear. God is that big. He's seeing it. I I love this verse from Psalm 145. I've been meditating on it all summer. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. I love that. I stand praying and thinking, okay, God, how is it that you can be hearing my prayers in the backyard and you're hearing Rose's prayers in our bedroom? And God, if you have to choose between one of them. Uh, and you're hearing, <laughs> you're hearing Michael in, in Langley and you're hearing somebody all the way around the world right now praying, and you, you're you hearing it, and you're taking care of things. God is unsearchable in his greatness. Okay, when you write a letter, there are some general uh, rules, some general um, forms that people follow. It's the same today as it was then, and it's always kind of been that way. What is the typical greeting that you start a letter with? Dear, yeah, dear so-and-so. Sometimes, even when they're not very dear to you, right? Like, you know, dear Mr. Taxman. (laughs) You know, dear honorable, no, I won't even say it, I won't say it. Um, Things like that will be said. It's just a form, it's a norm. We do it that way. Well, that's always been the same. Dear so-and-so. It has become more casual in our day, where often with email, it's like, hey, Michael, hey, Sharice, or sometimes even just hi, if it's going to more than one person. You just say something like that. But Paul took the the normal form of a letter, and there was a greeting that was typical. People would say 
typically Hebrews, Jews, would say shalom, peace. And peace wasn't like when we think peace, peace is sort of often used as the absence of conflict or the absence of trouble. They didn't mean it like that. Peace, shalom, meant prosperity to you, especially prosperity of the soul. It meant wholeness and well-being. I'm speaking when someone would come into a room even and say, shalom. They didn't just mean, oh, I hope that you don't have any conflict today. It meant flourish, the flourishing of your soul. I hope your soul flourishes. That's what it meant. It was uh, not a passive thing. It was a positive, aggressive thing. I'm speaking blessing over you. The Greek norm was to say greetings or hail, which means uh, like uh, a salute. It's, it's like, you know, and, and some still say that. What, what language says it? Salute. It's, it's like it's, is that French? And they, they say that, you know, it means hail or it means, you know, best wishes, warm wishes, that kind of thing. Paul took the greeting and he, you can see it here, he Christianized it. He changed it. He says this thing, grace and peace to you or grace to you and peace. He says who it is. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus, grace to you and peace. That word grace, it's a Greek word. You've probably heard it, charis. The, the typical word was a Greek word that was greetings. And it was, it, the word is very similar. It's carine, but it means like warm wishes. Paul Christianized it and said, Charis, the gift of God, the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God to you. That, And I love this definition of grace. The unmerited favor of God that changes me. Not just the unmerited favor of God, but the unmerited favor of God that changes me, that transforms me. And he's speaking to the church saying, grace to you. And peace. Even the, even the order of that is interesting. You can't have full prosperity of soul until you've received the grace of God. So he's saying, he Christianized it, and it's in all of his letters, all of them. And in fact, in most of them, it's at the end as well. Grace to you and peace. The beautiful thing about the tradition, one of the traditions of the Hebrews and probably many cultures, when they spoke a blessing, they weren't just saying something like, oh, God bless you, and then not even thinking about it. Somebody said that to me recently about someone saying, God bless you. And it was even questionable whether it was a Christian. Whether, and, and they said that that still could be a pleasant thing to say. But when Paul is saying shalom or grace and peace to you, he's actually declaring, it's like a prayer. It's like he's speaking in prayer. Grace and peace to you. And it's like, in the sight of God, I'm speaking this out, and I hope that grace comes to you. I hope the unmerited favor of God is poured out on you, and peace is poured out on you, and that you flourish. He's not just saying, hey, sup. You know, some empty thing like that. He actually means a blessing. He's declaring it. So this kind of thing, 
Yeah, yeah. Did I drag it out too long? Sup? You should have been quicker like that. All right. He speaks and declares this weighty word. Sorry to distract you. This weighty word of blessing. Now I know that probably my youngest son is thinking, Dad, don't ever do that again. <laughs> That's what he says when I say something that I think is cool. He says, Dad, don't ever do that again. <laughs> okay. Um, and I do it just to, you know, be a, a dork. Uh, he speaks and declares this weighty word of blessing over the church family. And he says, we thank God for all of you. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God for you always. I love that. It's not just, hey, we're, you know, oh yeah, we're kind of happy that you came to Christ. No, we give thanks to God for you always. He says, making mention of you in our prayers. Making mention. Paul will instruct the church in a moment. He'll correct them. In, in certain places, he pushes them hard to live holy lives, but he wants to encourage them. And he wants to know, I'm with you. I'm behind you. I'm not just coming with a hard word to, you know, to straighten you out. Uh, he wants to encourage the people of God and assure them that he's for them, just like God. Right? We all have experienced this, I think, where somebody corrects us, but you don't know if they're really on your side. And we've also all experienced the thing where somebody corrects us, but you do know they're on your side. It's really different, isn't it? The one... You can receive it because you know that person's not just trying to destroy you. The other, it's like even something true is sort of hard to take, isn't it? And so here's Paul. He's, he's preparing them. He's saying, man, we care for you. We're thankful for you. We thank God for you. We make mention of you in our prayers constantly, all the time. Where someone is thankful for you. I can tell you, everybody look at me right now. Look me in the eye. I'm going to try and cover them all at once. Someone is thankful for you. Do you believe that? Do you believe there's somebody who's really thankful for you? And the as, you, as we say that, the devil is right now saying, no, they're not. No. And that's natural because he hates you. He hates God and he hates you. And so he's going to say things like that. But I want to say, echoing what Paul says, we're thankful for you. And we're making mention of you. I know of at least one person in this church that's thankful for you and mentions you in prayer all the time. I know of at least one. I'm pretty sure there are others. But one for sure. And God wants us to be the one that is being thankful 
and making mention of others. That's one way we can guarantee that we're a church family and not a cold, austere, empty, religious organization is that we're thankful for one another and we make mention of one another in our prayers. I want that. I, I, there's many things I want our church to be. One of them that I think is a strength, there's always room for improvement, but one of the things I think that is a strength is that we're a family. There's a family spirit, and I would just like to see that intensify, get better yet. I'd like to see it spread. I'd like to see more included. One way to do that is to be the person that's doing what Paul is saying. We give thanks to God for you always. Maybe I can say this. Here's a way that we can apply this word. Maybe you could start with five or ten people in the church that you say, I'm going to give thanks for them regularly, always. As often as I think of it, when, I, when they come to mind, I'm going to say, God, thank you for them. Um, and make mention of them in prayer. God, what they need right now, I pray you'll supply. That's a pretty simple uh, level of prayer, right? Do you think you have the spiritual ability to do that? Yeah. yeah I think it would be easy. And let's, let's do it. Let's be those people. Mentioning people in prayer, giving thanks to God for them. Okay, verse 3. I can tell we're definitely only going to get a little ways here. Uh, verse 3. Paul is giving thanks to God for these people that he introduced to Jesus, constantly aware of three vital things, three big things in the life of any Christian. Verse 3. He says... Or verse 2, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind, constantly aware of your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness or endurance, you could say, of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Some translations put the last phrase in the presence of our God and Father. Some put that at the beginning. Before God, we constantly keep in mind your work of faith, labor of love, and endurance of hope or steadfastness of hope. What is this, this whole idea? He says these three things, faith, love, and hope. Have you heard those before in the Bible? Yeah. Exactly. The love chapter of the New Testament, all the weddings I've ever done, <laughs> just about that, I, I had 1 Corinthians 13 memorized because every, every wedding, they want that statement about love is patient, love is kind, love is not boastful, arrogant, or rude. Um, and I'm not going to try and do it because now I want, I'm forgetting it's been a while since I did a wedding. Um, Paul explains this here, these three big things, these Christian essentials, faith, love, and hope. In this place, they're in that order. 
The three show up together in 1 Corinthians 13. They show up again in Colossians 1, 4, and 5. Peter mentions these three things together. The writer of Hebrews mentions them together. This is something, I don't know if it started with Paul, but it's something that faith, hope, and love land together. They're essentials for all of us. Some of the things we need in this life, it says are things that are going to pass away. But in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, these three things remain. As in, in this season of waiting for the return of Christ, these three things are key. And Paul presents them and says, um, these attributes, faith, hope, and love. We're going to cover these three really quickly. It says here, your work of faith, all three of these things, faith, hope, and love, all require effort. All of them, effort. There's going to be effort. Have you found that, that nothing in the Christian life is without some effort, right? It's there. The work, your work of faith, there are actions required by faith. To maintain and live by faith is work. It's effort. I wish, you know... I wish it was easier. I do, because I'm lazy. At heart, by nature, I, I just would rather just, God, just bless me and let me float through life happily, and I don't have to do anything. Oh, I won the lottery today, and I didn't even buy a ticket. How wonderful. You know, I'm, I'm, gay, I'm okay with that, God. How about it? I'd like that, but it isn't like that. Faith is work. Some mornings, I wake up, and I think, I need to go pray. Some mornings, I'm, I'm excited about that. Some mornings, I don't want to. I don't want to put in the effort. I just think, Jesus, can you just visit me here on my bed while I'm in that, you know, pseudo-sleep state? Just come and do it. And just, just visit me and bless me, please. Elsewhere in the New Testament, the writer speaks of the obedience of faith. Twice in the book of Romans. The obedience of faith. Oh, it isn't just, you know, easy. And faith being authenticated by corresponding actions. I'll show you my faith by my works, by my actions. The more our society and culture move away from Christian roots and morality, the more work faith requires. Amen? It requires more work as, as our society moves there. In many places in the world, people with very little to trust in except Christ have way stronger faith than us because we have fallback here in the wealthy Western world, right? We've had fallbacks. Whereas in many places, uh, they have had little else to trust in except Christ. And their faith is through the roof. Uh, there, there are people I've heard of who've gone to some, you know, persecuted nations. And they said when they went there, they were invited to come and speak and share the gospel. They said, I was embarrassed. Uh, they needed to be teaching me. 
because their faith was so high, and here I came with knowledge, but their faith is strong. Similarly, the second thing stated, so the work of faith, faith is some work. The second thing stated is their labor of love. You've heard of that expression, right? Somebody does something and they say, oh, that was a labor of love. They made a beautiful garden or they made some, you know, project or whatever. Some, you know, architect designs a building and they say that was his labor of love. What that means is that they were motivated to do that thing. Out of, they, they loved something about that and wanted to get it done. But it was still labor. It was work. In this passage, the word labor means hard toil. It doesn't mean, you know, casual work. It means hard work, labor of love. And Paul's commending them for their labor of love here uh, because they, they, they sweated. They had to work it out. Uh, that's, people are motivated by various things, by money, by achievement, by acceptance. They want to be accepted. They want pride. They want, you hear that term, bragging rights. They want power or authority. But love is what motivated God to send his son to do the work of going to the cross with your sin and mine and actually dying in our place. That was toil. In fact, in the garden, I mean, it was, we talk about, you know, hard work being the sweat of our brow. It says, uh, you know, he was bleeding blood or uh, sweating blood in the garden. He was, he, that was some toil. He knew what he had to face and it was hard work, but it was a labor motivated by love. Not just his, but the father's. And he, he, God sent him to save us from our sins and death. And we who have been saved by that, that sacrifice, that work, we who have been saved and given new life in him have inherited his mission, the, the finishing of his mission. Now, there's part of it, of course, that it's finished. Nobody else can... Um, atone for our sins. But we're now to go make that atonement, that salvation known to the whole world, everybody in the world. We've inherited that, but we've also inherited the love of God as the only suitable motivation for doing that. Again, back to 1 Corinthians 13, Paul starts that chapter by saying, if I do, if I give this and I do that and I do this and I do miracles, I prophesy, I do all these things, but I don't have love, it's nothing. It comes up short without it. So when Paul says, we're commending you for your work of faith and your labor of love, let's not get busy just with the labor and forget the love we need it. Amen? Somebody say amen. And I'll be finished very soon. I... Well, I won't promise because I don't, you know. No, we are, we're almost done. And finally, the last of the big three here. He's giving thanks, mentioning them in, in prayer, keeping, bearing them in mind constantly for their endurance of hope or their steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus. Again, it's effort. 
even having hope, it's right, not giving up. There's the work of, oh man, let me ask really candidly, everybody take part. This is a quick survey. Have you ever felt like you want to give up and throw in the towel on something or another? Maybe not your faith. Yeah, probably everybody, right? Um, where you've, you want to give up. You want to throw in the towel. But there are things where I cannot and I will not. I can't, I can't throw in the towel. It's challenging. At times, it's like, oh, man, we went through a challenging time about 17 years ago in our old church. And uh, Brenda was there. She knows how challenging a time that was. It was brutal. But somehow, and I think it's just got to be the grace of God, I could not quit. I wanted to. It's like, wake up in the morning, say to Rose, I don't want to go to church. Those people there don't like me. She says, you're the pastor and you're preaching this morning. You've got to go. It's like, you know, it's like, no, we don't have to go. I, I used to say this jokingly. If we leave now, we could be in Montana before they even realize that, that we're not here. Like, let's, you know, and I'm, I'm joking, but I could not let it go. I couldn't quit. Couldn't quite quit. I'm really glad now. And that is it. The endurance of hope. Why? Because there's some hope presents a blueprint and a picture of what should be, of what could be. And in, he, he says our hope in the Lord Jesus. Well, guess what? Our hope in Christ is good. It, that's why my mother-in-law can talk about heaven and say something like, I can't wait because that picture is getting clearer. She's been praying about it, looking at it, believing for it, so that for her, it's not like, "Hmm, you know, this is really kind of... No, there's a clear picture of something good, and it should be in all of us. It should be in all of us that 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 picture that hope presents is not something that we... that's, that's, you know, really... I'll get to it at some point. I mean, I don't want to go before the time, but I want to go. That picture of hope. And it brings endurance. It brings steadfastness. It's like, no, I can stay put and keep going because God is good. He's given a good picture of the future. I know what it should be, what it can be, and I'm believing what it will be. Here's the difference. Hope in the Bible is different than that kind of thing like, well, I hope so, but I really don't expect that's in the world. I hope so. Do you think this will happen? I hope so. But, you know, we're just hoping and praying. Probably not. When people say, I'm hoping and praying, it means they're worrying. They're probably not actually hoping at all or praying. That means I'm hoping and praying. You're not praying when you say that, you know. That, but here's the thing. Maybe you are. I, I wouldn't say that phrase. But here's the thing. Persevering because of a picture of a good result. I just heard about a man who was a missionary in Bulgaria and he stayed with a peasant family and the daughter was sewing all the time. And this guy said to the daughter at one point, he said, don't you get tired of always sewing? Of constant, this, he called it that eternal sewing. And she said, no, it's my wedding dress. 
And it's like she wasn't even engaged. She had a picture of what would be. And, you know, this is, you know, a, a, a peasant farmer person sowing this thing. She had a vision of something good, a good result. She wanted to be her best. And it's like, nope, I can endure. I can keep going because there's something beautiful uh, ahead of me, and I can keep going for that. Enduring in, persevering in hope. I quoted earlier Psalm 146.5, and it's spoken in the Bible probably a hundred times. How blessed is the one whose hope is the Lord. How blessed. It means how happy, how contented, how wonderfully satisfied the person is whose hope is the Lord because in him our hope will not be disappointed. Amen? It won't be disappointed because he promised. Our hope has a steadfastness about it Different from the world, our hope is an anticipation of something that's solid, something that's sure. That's the way God made it. Even death can't extinguish our hope. In fact, crossing through that gate, the gate of death, is going into our 